0: Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Fintech Cafe, and I'm your host, Ambika Sharma. Fintech Cafe is a live show that takes place every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse with a live audience. So what you're listening to is a recorded session. Today is episode 43, and our topic is payments for small businesses. Joining us for this discussion is the co-founder and CEO of Veeam, Marvin Forsley. Payments is a complicated topic, and so we're very grateful that you could tune in for this educational conversation. I'll pass the baton next to my co-host for her introduction.
1: Thank you, Ambika, Uh, co-host with Ambika on the FinTech Cafe and proud to Wear This Badge. Marwin, welcome. Would uh, love to hear you introduce yourself, now that you need introductions.
2: (laughs) Thank you, and thanks for having me. And uh, congrats on putting this show together. It's amazing doing it on the side, you know, when you have a job as well. So I started Veeam. I used to run e-commerce for Western Union. I got into Western Union through, an, uh, through a company called Ebilme, which I founded and sold to them. And then prior to that, I was in another startup that uh, ended up with Nokia. So I've spent my career just, you know, going back and forth between startups and big companies. So that's my background.
1: Yep. Thank you. So it sounds like this is not your first time as an entrepreneur with your, like you mentioned, your experiences with Me, which you sold to Western Union and then co-founding Veeam more recently, obviously a disruption in the payments landscape by providing a service that is quite cost efficient, secure, quite the resume. So let's start with how you got into payments. Like what was it about payment space or was there uh, some sort of a precursor?
2: you know it goes all the way back to my first startup when when i i was in the voice of ip space and you know the company that i was with ended up with nokia and when i was at, when i was at nokia there was a lot of work done around transactions on mobile phones and i found that uh, fascinating at the time this is back in like you know 2000 and early days of like 2000 2001 2002 And at the time, you know, the whole idea of converting your cell phone to be a point of sale was something that's like really interesting and unique and fascinating. And so I got involved in the payment space from really that experience that, you know, this is how a possible transformation that can happen that all of a sudden your phone device becomes your way to pay your pay, your way to get paid. And so that's initially how I got uh, introduced to this space. So so then I left and started Ebony, which was a payment option at the checkout enabling e-commerce merchants to connect to online banking directly from from the checkout and that's the business that sold to Western Union. Then after a couple of years I you know just wanted to be in the world of entrepreneurship again and and B2B payments was something that caught my attention. It's a it's an area where a lot of businesses today live on wires, domestic wire, national wire checks, uh, paper invoices. And uh, the thinking, you know, when when we, when we started the company that, you know, when you go to buy coffee in the morning, you don't think of how you pay, you just do it. When you do business payments, it's the opposite of that. It's something you have to think about. You have to plan, plan your day. You have to think about wires want to do them the fees the foreign exchange fees the cutoff times what happens to the to the, to the payment how long does it take to get to the receiver etc there's so many uh, things you have to think about to do the payment it's the opposite of simplicity and so we wanted to uh, change that experience and provide something really simple for um, businesses to help them pay and get paid
1: Great, thank you. Yeah, I feel like even the term wire sends chills down my spine when I was a student. Wires used to be the way of transfers, and it was definitely not easy process. Yeah. So let's t- talk about Veeam. So, if you don't mind sharing with our audience uh, what Veeam is and how it works in your words.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's, it's all about simplifying business payments, helping businesses pay and get paid. In the industry, our our customers, they describe us to be like Venmo for businesses. We do accounts payable, accounts receivable, domestic, and cross-border in one login under one platform. And the idea here is to offer functionality that simplifies the whole function of of creating the payment or creating the invoice and then the process of collecting uh, money for either for the invoice to get paid or for sending the payment against an invoice. And and, uh, and essentially, the term Venmo, it's like Venmo for business came from customers that like the user interface. They like the UI, the UX, the simplicity of it. They like the fact that they can send payments around the world all by you don't have to know the receiver's bank account information or Swift codes or any information on the receiver. So they like the simplicity the delight, the experience, and uh, they join us because they used to come from environments where they either did a, a wire or a check or responded to some invoice that showed up in an inbox. Sometimes they have uh, physical invoices that, got, that, that gets mailed to the office uh, and then they have a whole process for paying these invoices. So all, all these processes are like basically friction for a user and we wanted to just simply reimagine them and and create an experience where when when you do payments you, you don't have to think about it again it's just something that's intuitive and simple
1: great thanks for sharing that and then just diving a little bit into the way you deliver that it sounds like one of your core value prop is the ability or not a value prop rather but the technology differentiator you have is the way you tackle the multiple rails and some of the smart decisioning around the rails. Could you share what it means to be using multiple payment rails like MasterCard or Swift or blockchain technologies and how that delivers the value for the customer?
2: Yeah, so we we start with the user journey. So for every customer on the platform, you have multiple ways to pay and get paid. So you can use your bank account, to, to pay from. You can use uh, debit card, credit card, check, uh, Veeam wallet. This is, you have five different payment methods to work with to make a payment. And you have about five different methods to receive a payment, to, to, to get paid. And then we have a router in the middle, we call it multi-rail, that takes the inputs from the users, from the payer and the payee, and makes a routing decision on how the payment is going to actually get executed on, in the, on the background. And we have five different rails we work with. We uh, have our own bank accounts in a a number of countries. We we call that treasury. So for example, if I'm moving money to Germany, there's nothing that moves to Germany. We, We have a bank account in Germany that has euros. And essentially when we collect payment from the US, we remit payments from our bank account in Germany to the recipient on the German side. So that whole system is called treasury. Then we, for folks that want real-time payments, we send payments on Visa and MasterCard. So we, you, you can pay on your debit card, credit card, the receiver can get paid under bank account associated with the debit card. And these payments tend to be real-time and that funnels on uh, Visa and MasterCard's rail. For folks that want to do payments to emerging markets like Philippines, Mexico, Brazil, we use blockchain. We, we do a lot of transactions on the blockchain. And essentially uh, we are able to do uh, real time and overnight settlement uh, on that rail. For markets like, uh, you know, Brazil or or China, these are like more complex markets. We have partners on the ground that work with us on payment processing and we also use Swift. And so we we have five different methods and it's all about simplifying the user experience in that you're routing to deliver the best experience to the user all, all this stuff is back-ended so the customer doesn't see it the machine behind the scenes connects what the payer wants to do what the receiver wants to do and organizes the interactions between them and the selection of the rails but that's behind the scene again the user from a user experience you log in you enter the email address of the receiving business or receiving party you enter the amount of money you, owe, you hit send that's all there is to the experience. The rest of it happens on the back end.
1: That was fantastic. Thank you for really breaking that down for us. And blockchain specifically, which seems to be one of the core competences that Veeam offers, how have you been leveraging that more efficiently? And then I'm curious also in terms of the scalability and other competitors getting there quickly and how you're managing to maintain an advantage there.
2: Oh, well, we've, we've been using we've been doing transactions on the blockchain for for a while like uh, we started the business all on the blockchain over time we added all kinds of other rails so it's one of the rails that we have quite a bit of experience in and so the way we use it the architecture of it we can tap into any of the public protocols to essentially synthetically cross from one fiat to another so let's say i'm sending money to mexico essentially we go fiat crypto crypto fiat and essentially, we use cryptos to cross uh, from one fiat to another now in practice the the only protocol that that's most liquid is actually bitcoin, so we we do a lot of in and out of bitcoin. Other protocols you know work as well, like you know we've done the same thing over ether and and private blockchains, and they're all they 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 all have you know some advantages to them, but the reality is you know, to do transactions on the blockchain, you need liquidity in the market, and you need live exchanges that have uh, fairly deep order books to get an edge on that on that rail compared to the other rails that you have. And so, in practice, the the one that's most liquid is actually Bitcoin. And so, we go in and out of that of, of these transactions. We don't really store Bitcoins. We we're not necessarily long on, or on them or check the price. We go in and out essentially uh, real time and and uh, book the transactions so to deliver fiat from one country to another country that's how we do it
1: got it fantastic thank you i think that rounds up my round of questions Ambika, over to you yeah thank you just one question do you also
0: it's related to what uh, Manisha was asking you do you use stable coins as a way to also move money
2: <clears throat> so architecturally we can use any of like we're agnostic to the actual rail underneath Any, any flavor of blockchain technology we could use in practice. A lot of these issues have nothing to do with the underlying technology. It's really all about how liquid these, these, these rails, the reality of the exchanges that support them, the ability for the exchange to deliver last, last mile payment in country payments. So a lot of it is not necessarily the technology itself, it's all the operations around the technology that constrain it. And so we've, we, have like the stable coins, they can deliver payments from one end to another, but then you have to have the exchanges able to support the stable coin and deliver the payment to the last mile. And that's where the issues are.
0: Got it, that's helpful, thank you. So we dive deep into Veeam, I felt, but I wanna take a step back and also learn a little bit about the founding story? How did you come up with the idea of Veeam? How did you find the market opportunity? I believe Veeam is operating in the space of middle market. So if you could just talk high level, how you came to this uh, business opportunity.
2: Yeah. You know, I, when my last company got acquired by Western Union, it was fascinating to be there because there was like my first experience actually with so many international markets because they service quite a lot of countries. And what was uh, interesting, every country like has a story in terms of what can happen in it like it's uh you would assume that they're all similar but there's a lot of nuances to every country and so generally the world of consumer payments have been relatively streamlined through advancement in technology with products like you know uh, wise and zoom and remitly and western union.com there's, there's quite a bit of players that streamline these experiences when you go to the business world. It it was all basically either done through banks. 90% of the transactions happen through bank environments. And then if you put all the fintechs together, that's probably like about 10% of the market at best. And a lot of the market is still, you know, you go to a bank and do a wire or you find a foreign exchange specialist. And a lot of the interactions are manual operations. And so we wanted to change the way we think of delivering Payment uh, options and payment solutions to that business market, and uh, we thought that the small business market in particular is one that is not streamlined and and fairly open in terms of competitive dynamics. There's not that many players in that market; it's more greenfield, and so that's why we started focusing on that market.
0: Got it. Thank you. So, is B two B payments at the core of Veeam?
2: Yeah, yeah. So we support essentially a number of use cases. We have a lot of customers. We have about we have about half a million accounts on the platform. So businesses use us to pay suppliers around the world. Some customers, a lot of startups actually use us to pay labor. So like, you know, let's say you have a business here in, in the US and you have a bunch of developers helping you out and they're scattered around the world, some in Philippines, some in India, some in um, Poland, for example. So we, we have a lot of customers that use us to make disbursements to, to pay labor that they work with. Some customers use us to collect payments on an invoices. They create the invoice, they send it out, and they collect money on it. Some customers have multiple offices, and they use us to move money around between their offices. These are examples of what customers use us for.
0: Got it. And then let's say if we can talk a little bit about use cases, since you dwelled in there. Let's say I need money from Manisha, and mm-hmm. I can use her email address. I can request and say, Manisha, please pay me hundred dollars. Is it as simple as that? Could you talk talk to us from a user, from a customer experience perspective for the yeah? I
2: mean, use case? that's basically it. You log in and you say, Manisha, you know, here, here's a request for hundred hundred dollars. And where the sophistication comes is like you can. If you don't have an invoice, you can create an invoice on Veeam. If you have it already with you, like you, let's say you have a PDF, you can simply request and attach the PDF. You, you can also import that from your QuickBooks. We're plugged into QuickBooks zero NetSuite, all that accounting kind of systems. Um, once you send it out, let's say you are in the U S and Monisha is in Canada, for example, then Monisha can pay you in Canadian dollar, we can pick up Canadian dollar from Alicia, and send you USD in your bank account in the US. So that's an example of a workflow to support a, a payment on an invoice.
0: Got it. In some of the other podcasts I've listened of yours, you equate Veeam to Venmo for businesses. Do you still say that about your business that it's a Venmo for businesses? Yeah,
2: It's actually a, a customer that came up with that terminology. I, I was talking to this customer and. You know, we have quite a bit of volume that's domestic as well. Domestic Canada and domestic USD. And I was talking to this customer and and he was doing a lot of domestic transactions. And I said to him, like, why are you using us? You know, you could do the same thing from your bank account, like on bill pay and ACH and, and he told me, well, you, you guys are really simple and I like how you, how the information and the payments flow into my accounting system. And I also like the fact that you can support multiple approvals on these transactions and and you're like Venmo for, but for business because I use Venmo for my babysitter and my gardener, but I need something like that for my business that's business rugged, that I can have approvals, I can have integrations into accounting systems, I, I can reconcile payments. So I need something like that, but for business. And that's what Veeam is.
0: Got it. Yeah. It's a very clear analogy and gets the point across. So I agree. It is like a Venmo for business, but what, like, what are the barriers to entry for competitors to enter your space in which you have now, you know, these real five different types of payment rails, what are some barriers to entry?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a, it's a fairly complex business. There is, there's a number of payment options. We support, so ACH, debit card, credit card, checks in both sender and receiver. Then there's integrations into accounting systems. There's workflows that you have to set up so that you have payment approvals. We do approvals by payment size, by department. You can take the data and reconcile it so that it's a two-way sync between Veeam and and the accounting systems. And then it's it's a very regulated space. We are. A money service business. We're licensed in every state in the U.S. We have licenses in other countries: Canada, Euro, UK, Australia. We have. We. we, You also have to have fairly, you know, strong security procedures. Also, so like, we're Type Two, uh, SOC Two, Type Two, and PCI compliant. And so, you know, by the time you add it all up, it's quite a bit of stuff that you need to have in place to be able to run this business. And so, you know, it's hard for uh, startups to to do something like this. It takes quite a bit of, quite a bit of labor and money and uh, and energy, but you know it's a good market and it's a market that, is is fairly greenfield and I think there's actually room for multiple companies to do really well. So we're one of the players in the market, but there's others and it's a really good market to be in.
0: Great, thank you. And then the last question around customer. How did COVID nineteen impact your customer base? If you could tell us some stories,
2: at the beginning of COVID nineteen, uh, we were worried in, in that we service a lot of businesses and it was unclear how this whole thing is going to shape up. But we ended up doing quite well. I mean, we have a lot of businesses that are that are online businesses, you know, e commerce and e tail, and you know, tech startups and you know, virtual businesses that did quite well. And and so you, you know it didn't affect us as much. And and luckily we didn't have a lot of exposure to travel or physical retail where some of these businesses were hit a lot harder. So, So we actually, you know, we saw a little bit of a dip at the beginning of the pandemic, but then it recovered real quick and it kept going. So we ended up doing just fine during the whole pandemic area.
0: Good to hear. So I want to switch gears over now to customer acquisition. Because Mm -hmm. your customers are mostly small businesses and traditionally, in my view, I think they're paying a lot for the services that you're providing, which is both efficient and cost, which is fast and cost efficient. So just curious to understand how, what's a strategy around customer acquisition, what's been effective for you guys?
2: Yeah, we, uh, first of all, we, we, we do not charge customers uh, a subscription to use the product and. And the basic transactions are all free. So like ACH checks, you know, that's all free. We make money on advanced payment functionality, like foreign exchange cards, capital programs. That's where, that's how we generate uh, revenue. The, the, The way the acquisition works, a lot of the acquisition actually happens from customers themselves. They bring other customers to the platform. So like, if I send money to you. You know, I have more payables, you have more receivables, you get used to Beam, you like it, then you introduce it to other customers that you work with. So we have a lot of that. We also do quite a bit of web work to, you know, optimize ways to get customers that are looking for a way to simplify their business operations and essentially find an alternative to, to wires and checks. We have partnerships with accounting Uh, systems like QuickBooks, Zero, NetSuite, we we are plugged into some of the core banking platforms as well. So we do a lot of integrations that, you know, helps customers to find us. So these are the, these are the various methods of getting customers.
1: Marwin, switching a little bit into the revenue model, one of the biggest opportunities was the really heavy, steep price uh, that businesses had to pay for some of these wires. How do you approach pricing for Veeam? I mean, obviously, there's a reputation that Veeam keeps its price competitive, but then there are also comparisons, right? Like with some of your competitors like WISE and PayPal. Uh, so what are the how how do you manage the levers around the pricing versus the rates you offer? What can you share on that front?
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, in general, BankWire is like above. This is general terms, you, you know, every bank is a little bit different. But in general, it's like 40 bucks to send a wire, 20 bucks to receive one. And you lose somewhere depending on amount and countries and currency pairs, somewhere between 2% to about 4% in foreign exchange fees. So we operate differently. We, we don't charge to send, we don't charge to receive. We make money on foreign exchange and the spread ends up being about half the price compared to the banks generally. And so that's how we compete, and we we're not necessarily the cheapest in the market, but we are all about fair pricing, good customer experience, good service, and something that customers uh, really like with high support. and And we 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 make it we make sure that the customers when they use us, they're getting the best service we can give them. That's how we that's how we essentially operate. Great,
1: thank you. And the other aspect. I mean, you do uh, work with 100 plus countries. so And then especially in the current situation, there's some geopolitical risk. How mm-hmm. do you manage that or build that into your revenue?
2: Yeah, so we, uh, we're in 110 countries. We do over 80 currencies. You know, there's always something around the world. You know, just in the past few years, there was COVID, there was the uh, China tariffs and the European tariffs. And then like just uh, in the past month, the Ukraine Russia issue. So there's, there's always something. And then you, you kind of have to follow the uh, regulatory frameworks in the countries you operate in. So, you know, when the, for example, the, the Russia situation developed and the, uh, the U S government decided to have payments turned off to, to Russia, we followed the same procedure. It's a small amount of volume for, for that particular corridor, so it doesn't really affect us that much. But you know, generally, you know, we're operating in multiple uh, countries around the world, and there's always something going on, and you kind of have to follow the regulatory systems of the countries that you're servicing.
1: Uh, great. And then just similarly on the industry landscape, want to get your outlook you know one of the bigger banks they've released chase has released the jpm coin to facilitate cross border payments what are your <laughs> thoughts about developing a currency to facilitate some of these transactions is that something Veeam's looking at
2: i, I think like we like testing different rails and we're we're probably uh, known for that we, we've tested quite a bit of rails on our own and and generally a lot of the developments in the market around new rails like jpm coin or other variations of that they're all good technologies that demonstrate that the need for new rails to be set up they all have fundamentally the same issue in that a lot of the constraints are not necessarily related to technology they're related to the mechanics of moving money last mile and they intersect with KYC issues kyc meaning you know in order to move money you gotta be able to authenticate the payer and the payee and so this stuff gets complicated and especially when you're dealing with large amounts of money it gets even more complicated and so this is where things start to get constrained this kyc and last mile payment rails more than rails in the middle that's where the blockchain today have have been experimented uh, with the most and i think that's a good start but over time that's not necessarily where all the big issues are. The big issues are on the edge of the network, not in the middle of it.
0: Marvin, I wanted to touch base on the partnerships, going back to that. Could you talk a little bit about what is the relationship between like Veeam and big banks? And I yeah. say that both from investing perspective and partnership, because the re- recent round that you, uh, that you raised, tourist Ventures, which is a partnership between, or, or I guess a merger between what is it? BBNT and SunTrust. Okay. They, they led the you round of $31 yep. million. So on the one side, you have banks who are investing and they're rooting you on. But on the other side, you're also, I believe, in my humble opinion, you're also going after the biggest cash cow for banks, and that is middle market exchange rate. So how mm-hmm. does this relationship work, with, especially within your use case?
2: Yeah. And I actually have quite a lot of bank investors. So the truest uh, Goldman, Silicon Valley Bank here in California, a uh, company called Repay, also one of the payment processors. It's a public company here in the US. Then I have in around the world a bunch of banks. So in Japan, MUFG and SBI, th- both are two big banks in that area. National Australian Bank out of Australia, Arab Bank out of the Middle East. So I have a bunch of banks that put money. And you're right in that we, we work with banks in that there are a distribution uh, partner, they are a way to get to audiences and businesses. Um, It it may look on the surface like it's competing in that we uh, tailor to customers that don't want to use bank wires. But on the other hand, we help digitize payments and bring something that is self-serve simple to an audience that's not necessarily well-served within the bank. So banks tend to service their consumers in a digital way. And they are very good at handling relationships with the larger accounts because they have account management structures that keep the relationships active, but that small business layer is, it's a hard layer for the banks to, to manage. And they're looking for something that's simple to use and self-serve and something that can be automated. And this is where we get in. So. On one hand, it feels like we're competing with them and we're kind of providing something that they can use as a way to help them engage better with their customers.
0: Got it. Thank you. So building on that, let's say, you know, there are a lot of big banks that have come up with their own RTP, their real-time payment rails. Mm -hmm. Now when I look at your website and I'm reading about the, the five payment rails and how you are strategically or smartly using which payment rail is right for whatever transactions. So when the bank when a bank says to me that they have rtp real-time payments and when you show me what you have how should i do the interpretation are the banks really just a consortium among each other and they have agreed that yes we'll pay this we'll settle the funds in real time and that's what it is kind of like a zelle or how should i understand what a bank says to me that they have real-time payments
2: yeah so that they're so, so real-time payments is slightly different than the way uh, Veeam is organized in that we select the rail that's best for that experience, of which RTP could be one of the rails. So, in, in from that perspective, today, if if a customer wants to use real time payments, they would either use a Veeam wallet, like wallet to all transactions, or they would simply use their cards, uh, like they can pay from their debit card or credit card, and the payments end up. Uh, flowing uh, real time, the RTP is an interesting addition to that in that you can then use your bank account to do to do real time payments, kind of like a souped up version of ACH. And some of the banks support it, and we are looking to add RTP as one of the payment types to the to the V-Mix. So so that becomes another payment method on the VeeamRA. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, so RTP is just another type of payment rail.
2: Yeah, yeah. Got it.
0: Okay, good. And then Zelle, like, is that something that's part of your option of payment rails or is that separate?
2: Well, not at the moment. And Zelle is more consumer payments. We're more business payments. So we, it's a different audience. So we don't support Zelle payments at the moment. But again, Zelle is talking about having a, a business version. And if that becomes something that they end up doing and, and businesses use it and they want us to have the ability to pay from a Zelle account, we would support that.
0: Got it. Understood. Thank you. And then last question, we like to ask this from all founders. So you're one of them. If you were to be wildly successful via Veeam, what Mm -hmm. would the world look like? And again, I'm just trying to understand more of like your high level vision,
2: what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, you know, like. I'm going to take an analogy of the left of telephony here for, for a bit. You know, in the, in the past, how you used to have a phone book. And if you want to call your friend, you would write up all the names of like, this is all my friends and this is for their phone numbers and you dial up their phone numbers. And now it's like all that is gone and you have an address book in your phone and you see their pictures and you click on their pictures and you make a call. Think of like an analogy like that in the world of business payments, that phone book where you had all the numbers is like Swift. And what we're doing with Veeam is like, if you want to pay a business in China, for example, you look up the logo of that business, you click on it and say, here's $10,000. So it's just a totally different experience. And so we think of, um, the world evolving into a model where the experiences are simpler, delightful. You don't need to know the bank account details of all the parties you're trying to send money to. You should be able to see where the transaction is at, at any given time. You should be able to see what the rates are, what you're being charged, when the money is going to be delivered. All all that are basics And, and as basic as they sound, they don't exist today. So we're just putting it together to help businesses streamline their payments.
0: Great. Thank you. That's a wrap for the moderate session. We didn't get to touch on fraud, but I see some fraud professionals in the audience. I'm sure they'll ask you that question. Uh, so with that we're open now for audience if you like to join us on stage share your thoughts ask your questions you have two ways you can either raise your hand it's an icon on the bottom right we'll bring you up on stage or you can send us your questions and sumit i think is already sending us the questions so we can read the questions on your behalf but Sumit, if you want to join i'll invite you on stage but remember we are recording so please state your name and where you're dialing in from in the meantime, I did get a question from Sayed. He is a fraud professional, one of the big banks, and he's asking around fraud. And I'll just read. It says there's a lot of press about a very popular peer-to-peer payment mechanism about consumers getting scammed. Does your space, did, did your space also experience a similar fraud problem?
2: Well, we, we do quite a bit to make sure that when the payment is sent, it's sent from the payer to the receiver. And so we're the party facilitating that, but there's a lot of checks and balances to make sure that they, when the receiver gets it, it's not phishing or spam or, or a scam system. And the way we do it is we verify the identity of the payer. so We follow all the KYC required to make sure that the payer is then we have to follow all the regulatory requirements to make sure that the transaction is good to go so sanction screening and and making sure that you know it follows all the key aml requirements we then make sure that the receiver is legit and then after all that the payment is sent to the receiver and if there's something going on where the somehow this things don't add up the receiver when they receive the payment if they don't recognize the payer then usually that gets flagged and we notify all parties. So there's a whole bunch of processes in place to uh, adapt to any issues around uh, payment delivery to make sure that each side of the transaction is valid before we actually do the payments.
0: Awesome, thank you. And Nalima, we have you on stage. So if you want to introduce, tell us where you're dialing in from and then share your thoughts.
4: Hi, sure, thanks Ambika. Hey Marvin, uh, thank you so much. It was a great uh, session, we loved it. I work for a bank and uh, I'm also, you know, a person who moved from, you know, migrated from India many years Mm -hmm. ago, but I still have my connections uh, back home. And I am always looking for simpler and cheaper ways to transfer money. So I Mm -hmm. want to see what are your plans for non-business customers? And uh, what are your future plans uh, to open that?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a good question. We get that a lot. And you know, the system is designed for business users because of the all the functionality around, you know, approval processes and integrations into accounting systems. So you could use it for your own personal needs. It's just that it's not a market that we usually go after, but the mm-hmm. system supports it.
4: Oh, okay. Got it. That's interesting. Okay. and But on- online, you also have a easier way to, like, go in and create an account and do
2: it? Or yeah, no? yeah. It's like it takes minutes. So you set up the account and you simply, if you want to send money to someone in India, for example, you enter the email address, the amount of money that you're sending, let's say you're sending $200, you enter $200, mm-hmm. you submit, and the message goes out to your friend in India, saying, you know, hey, is sending you 200 bucks, this is the equivalent of, of the 200 bucks in INR, click here to receive it, and when they receive it, they enter their bank account information on, on the India side.
0: Got it, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Great. Thanks, Nalima. And Sumit, if you you shared your question in the chat, but if you want to ask yourself.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's is my first time here. I'm calling in from Toronto, Canada. And I grew up in India, so I've been following this um, really closely. I've seen what's happening over there with UPI. And my question was around maybe my incorrect understanding of real-time growth settlements that happen between banks. But is what you were talking about for RTP, just a subset of those real-time growth settlements, and if so, can the U.S. use what's happening in India as guidance?
2: So I'm not actually a specialist on the domestic India market, but in general, RTP—the term RTP I'm referring to here—is is the domestic payments, and I think I can't remember. if I think Monisha, you asked me about the the RTP setup in in the U.S., and that generally is between the banks on the U S side. So like, let's say you're, you're moving money from New York to California and the sending bank and the receiving bank are both on RTP, then the payment happens real time. Now there's different versions of that in different countries. So like the Canadian uh, payment system, the, the India side, you know, China, domestic Eurozone, there's multiple in-country systems, but are you asking? So I mean, are you asking if there is an equivalent of RTP cross-border between countries?
3: What well, my question was more around, can we learn from what they're doing for real-time settlements amongst banks? They're doing it in the country, yeah. but they're trying to actually set standards so that everyone else can do the same so the u.s could do it so the example you said the u.s could do it but then u.s and indian banks could connect with those standards and so yeah. you could do real segments with it. yeah, yeah it's an
2: interesting uh, it's an interesting question actually and and even in the u.s it's like well underway by the way like you know about 60 percent or, or so of the banks are already on rtp and volume is increasing so it's it's happening just takes a little bit of time for all the banks to cut over and for the uh, volume to build up, but you know it's an interesting thought process around like what are all the key success stories in different markets and figuring out how to apply them to to the U.S. market and and actually how to apply them around the world to connect like all the various banks together and, or countries together so that payments flow real time between different different countries. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting idea. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, India and Brazil, like India got real-time payments not too long ago through UPI, but Brazil actually had uh, real-time payments back in the nineties. But that's because of hyperinflation that they suffered and the real-time payments that the Brazilian central bank implemented was a, was a way, was a solution because of hyperinflation that they suffered. So a few countries in developing world actually have solved this a long time ago.
2: There's, there's actually, you know like there's a number of countries that do domestic real-time payments. The U.S. is actually of the most advanced when it comes to payment technology. There's uh, all kinds of markets around the world where their, their systems are ahead of the U.S. and their development.
0: Got it. So you, you, I'm sorry, I just want to clarify. You're saying that U.S. has one of the most advanced payment technology?
2: No, I, uh, it's the okay, other way. Go <laughs> okay, good. Other... I was like,
0: that's not my opinion. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's the other way around. There are, there are payment technologies in other markets that are, that are well-developed compared to the U.S. market.
0: Yeah, I think the last thing America invented when it comes to cash management is invention of an ATM machine back in the 70s. So <laughs> yeah. if we can get real-time payment and get our, our you know, wires and ACH settled in a matter of hours, that would be fantastic.
2: Yeah, and, and remember that there's still quite a bit of volume of checks in the U.S., which is, which is also an interesting dilemma for the U.S. market that even during the pandemic, it actually uh, still survived, (laughs) survived the pandemic and checks are still going around. So it takes time to change, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to quickly ask about, I mean, on the topic of international markets, Marvin, uh, are there certain geographies that you're looking to expand or seeing the growth uh, when it comes to usage of Veeam? As opposed to the domestic market here?
2: Yeah, I mean, we like all the major countries, we do quite a lot of volume uh, into. So, you know, uh, US, Europe, uh, Eurozone, UK, China actually is a major country. Then Canada, Brazil, Mexico, India, Philippines, Australia, these are all, you know, high volume. And then there's a long list of like long tail countries, but it follows the the general distribution of trade, uh, around the world.
1: Good, thanks. Sorry, Ampika, did you have, a... yeah. I have one question from the back channel, but go ahead. Oh, go for it. Sure.
0: So this question is from James and he wanted to understand more about the blockchain technology and basically the statement he's read to me is, could you please talk more about blockchain? in terms of the tech stack. So James is an engineer and he works for a blockchain company. So I think he's asking for more details specifically.
2: Yeah, so we, we have something called multi-rail, which essentially is a router that routes between different, between five different rails of which one of them is the blockchain. Now when it comes to the blockchain, that's a layer that is an abstraction of the actual rails that we use underneath. So we essentially pick up and cross to crypto and then from there, across to another crypto, to, 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 sorry, fiat to crypto, to crypto, to fiat. And then essentially we we'll go in and out of fiat real time to synthetically cross from from one fiat to another. So like, again, if I'm sending money to Mexico, I'm going U.S. dollar to crypto, to crypto, to pesos. And all I did on crypto was use it as a way to convert from U.S. dollar to pesos. And that's because we go in and out real time. We describe that whole method to be one of the flavors of the blockchain. We've done a whole bunch of variations on this. We generally, the, the most used one is Bitcoin, but we've done, we've experimented with ether, we've experimented with private coins, stable coins. In practice, the one that's the most liquid is actually Bitcoin at the moment.
0: How do you hedge against then like the volatility of prices for Bitcoin?
2: We, 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 we just uh, do it. We lock the trades before we execute anything. And so it doesn't matter what the price is. It's, it's not something we, we don't hold current. We don't hold any of the cryptos and we're not long or short on them. And we don't check the price. It's, it's very utilitarian. It's like a script that, you know, executes trades on both sides and locks the trades before you execute them. That way the price movement doesn't matter.
0: Got it. Thank you and i see punam we have you on stage so the floor is yours
4: hey hi hey marwan this is punam here I'll, i'm also working with one of the fintech organization but being as an engineering mindset i'm going to ask one question which is always crops in my head because you literally talked about blockchain
3: mm-hmm. and
4: And you might have heard of it like how many organizations are embracing open source contribution and open source technology Mm -hmm. in businesses. So I would like to understand what's your opinion on that and how do you think like is open having an open source technology within the business going to be, should we embrace it or should be a disruptor to entire tech stack or maybe the business org at all or is it going to be like, I would say, failure steps to adopt this?
2: So just to understand uh, your question, Punam, you're, you're asking um, you're asking if fintechs in general should benefit from or rely on an open source stack versus developing everything on their own. Um, yeah,
4: yeah, it means like embracing the technology providers because we have so many technology providers available in the market they offered and leveraging their solution makes your solution safe and secure but i would like to know your opinion on it
2: well i'd say like you know you generally want to leverage uh, what exists in the market and make the best out of it instead of reinventing the wheel so anything that's like available protocols whether it's blockchain or open banking or open source like if you can take that technology and use it and benefits the business, then I think that's a that's a good thing. What you want to do is take the technology and put your own wrapper around it to make it more unique to you. But why reinvent the wheel if something that exists that can help you build the business is just simpler, faster to do to, to help customers instead of creating your own thing.
4: I like that you brought this thing like you don't need to reinvent the wheel and wrap that that is unique to you but sometime that uniqueness never being a uniqueness because i'm i am not talking about uniqueness in the business i'm talking about the technology usage so figure uh, so maybe think about like i like one of the open source technology and i did something for my to save the technology and wraps that technology in such a way that adds a value to the entire technology Mm-hmm. so do you do you have any opinion of, like we should have a contribution model around of it like maybe from the fintech open source contribution so
2: that's in a sense there there is always sort of available code that you work with and there's adaptation to that that you know you have your own sort of private layer that's added on that on that initial code and and sometimes to help build the community, you, you could also take that thing you added and contribute it back to the ecosystem so that others can leverage it. So that, that's more of a, like a you know, business decision on how you wanna participate in an open source environment. But in, in general, I think there is room to, to add uniqueness to the initial open source, not only from a business perspective, but also from a technology perspective. And, and then decide if you can take that uniqueness and if you want to put it back in the market for others to leverage that, that becomes your contribution to, this, to, the, to the open source.
1: Thank you so much, Poonam, for your question. And thanks, Marvin. Poonam, if uh, you're okay, shall we move on to Roland?
4: Yeah, definitely. Go ahead.
1: Thank you. Hey, Roland, welcome on stage. I know you had a few questions in the hallway. Uh, please introduce yourself and I would love to hear uh, your question
3: for Marvin. Thanks Ambika for inviting me on stage. Uh, thanks Manisha. Hi there. I'm Roland Desova, based in London. I advise both corporates and startups with regard to their strategy, business planning, etc. A couple of questions I had for you, Marwan. So you talked earlier about you know the transaction going from fiat to crypto to crypto to local fiat. Mm-hmm. I was trying to understand uh, whether this would make the trans- the transaction expensive, and in essence. How does that enable Veeam to offer the best exchange rates to your customers, be them businesses or otherwise? That's my first question. I have another two, but I'll let you answer this first.
2: So we offer one experience and one price to the user, and all this is behind the scenes. So the selection of the rails is behind the scenes. It doesn't actually impact the price that we we present to the user. It'll cost us more. If we choose one rail versus the other and so sometimes doing it on the blockchain it may end up costing more but if that transaction ends up being better for the user if it goes there faster or if i can do something in the middle of the night where the banks are not open but i need to confirm uh, with the recipient that hey money has been delivered we, we do it despite the fact that i mean it may not be the cheapest so we don't do it necessarily for to, like one of the, I mean, it's a router that routes among a whole bunch of attributes of which one of the attributes is the cost of the rail. And so if it's expensive to do it on the blockchain compared to other rails, that that affects the way we route, but it doesn't mean that we don't do it. At the end of the day, is whatever is best for the
3: user. Thank you. Second question, identity management. How mm-hmm. did you? How did your Veeam overcome the identity management challenge in a world where... KYC is becoming very important and how do you specifically solve that at Veeam? Thanks.
2: Well, we're regulated and so we can't actually move money until we KYC both payers and payees and so what you're doing is you're getting data from the user, things like you know tax ID or identity of the actual profile owner and you're verifying that data against various databases and when that clears, we give you access to the platform to start sending and receiving payments but the basic the very basic step is getting verified and to get verified we need some basic information on the business and on you to be able to uh, then give you access to the system And, and we do a lot of that in an automated way
3: are you doing that with your own solution or something else you've acquired from the market
2: we have a number of providers and databases we work with and the algorithm is, is developed by Veeam, it's unique to Veeam, but the actual technology used to verify different data sources and uh, that piece of it, because we remember, we're doing this in a number of markets, so we have a number of uh, tools in different countries that we use, and we have a common algorithm that, that, that verifies the data.
3: Is it based on ping identity? Is it based on, say, say again? Ping identity, P-I-N-G.
2: You know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not uh, the expert no, in this, to be no honest. Worries. Like, no um, worries. That's like more of a, <laughs> of a specific question to the risk management folks. If you want to email me later, I can connect you with them if that's helpful.
3: No worries. But no. I, I don't know. My final question, if you look at the future of payments in, from your perspective, do you see payments becoming embedded in, you know, the different transactional websites? or continuing to be a standalone that ends up getting in, integrated with the traditional banking space? We and see this, both. Just trying to get your future perspective on how this could evolve.
2: Yeah, we see, we see both, uh, both settings. We see, we see payments being embedded into applications that users use on a daily basis, whether that's their accounting systems or any vertical software that they use or, or banks that uh, they work with. We generally think of payments to be something that will end up getting integrated in many, many settings so that it's part of something else, but at the same time, it's also a standalone service. And uh, you get more complexity and more sophistication when you use a standalone, but you also get a simplicity and in the same context of the experience you're in when you're using one of the apps and you just access the payment function from that app.
3: Thank you very much indeed, Marwan. Much appreciated. If okay with you, I'll connect with you via LinkedIn. Thanks. Yeah,
2: of course. No problem.
0: Thanks Roland. And that's all the questions we have from the audience, Marvin. So the last one from me or for both of us, Monisha and I would be, if you could talk a little bit about what are some next things that we should look out for as per your roadmap and are you hiring and what are the roles that you're hiring?
2: We are looking for engineers, product management. There's some marketing roles engineers a lot of <laughs> we have quite a bit of open recs. so across the board really actually so we but but engineering in particular is something that we're always uh, looking to add talent to the team we are uh, looking to add more card functionality on the platform and we also have the option to use uh, working capital it's integrated into the payment flow that's one area that also we're seeing some further development we have the option to in the in the transaction flow if you don't want to pay now you can pay later and we started by offering something where you can pay up to 12 months later and we're finding that there's quite a bit of appetite to do all kinds of variations on that so that's an area that that we're going to optimize further
0: lovely by now paying pay later but for businesses i like it
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: Awesome. Well, that's it for today. So Marvin, thank you so much for sharing your hour with us and also educating us about how you're disrupting the payment spade. So we look, we wish you a lot of luck and hopefully you'll help uh, small businesses get
2: forward in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. So you guys uh, hit me up and we can uh, continue the discussion.
0: Yes, he's very approachable guy. So definitely. hit him up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you, Marvin. That's it for today. We hope you found the discussion beneficial and we're very grateful that you could join us for this session. We would also like to invite you to join our live conversations. Those are every Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. FinTech Cafe is a passion project that we created with an intention to cultivate a community of thought leadership within the FinTech space. Our employers, therefore, are not associated with the show. We're not endorsing any products and we're certainly not providing any investment advice. For more information, please check out our website, fintechcafe.org. On the website, you'll find our upcoming schedule, as well as job postings at various fintech companies that we bring on the show. If you'd like to check out the previous episodes, you can find us on all major podcasting platforms under the name Fintech Cafe. We encourage you to leave a review and let us know what more you would like to hear from us. With that, we bid you farewell. Until next week, be happy and be safe.
4: Thank you.